Section fifteen of the Chouans by Honore de Balzac. Translated by Ellen Marriage. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Bruce Peary. Chapter two J. While these events were taking place without the house, the chiefs sent by the Vendeans were conferring with the Chouans, glass in hand, while the Marquis of Montauran presided. Ample potations of Bordeaux wine gave warmth to the debate, which grew momentous and serious as the banquet drew to a close. During the dessert, when the lines of concerted military action had been laid down, and the royalists drank to the health of the Bourbons, the report of Piamiche's gun sounded like an echo of the ill-omened war which these gay and noble conspirators were fain to wage against the Republic. Madame de Gouin shook with the pleasurable agitation which she felt at being rid of her rival, and at this the guests all looked at one another, and the Marquis rose from the table and went out. After all, he was in love with her, said Madame de Gouin satirically. Go and keep him company, Monsieur de Fontaine. He will grow as tiresome as the flies if he gets into the blues she went to the window which looked out upon the courtyard to try to see marie's dead body thence by the last light of the setting moon she could make out the coach which was ascending the avenue between the apple-trees with incredible speed mademoiselle de verneuil's veil was fluttering in the breeze out of the coach window madame de gouin left the company enraged at what she saw the marquis was lounging on the flight of steps deep in gloomy thoughts as he watched about a hundred and fifty shuans who had returned from the gardens whither they had gone to divide their booty and who were now about to finish the cider and the bread which had been promised to the blues these soldiers new pattern upon whom the hopes of the monarchy were founded were drinking together in little knots while seven or eight of their number were amusing themselves on the embankment opposite to the flight of steps by tying stones to the bodies of the blues and flinging them into the water this spectacle taken in connection with the various pictures presented by the eccentric costumes and the wild faces of the callous and uncivilized gare was so extraordinary and so novel to monsieur de fontaine who had observed a certain appearance of seemliness and discipline among the vendean troops that he seized this opportunity to say to the marquis of montauran what can you hope to do with such brutes as that no great things you mean my dear count replied the gar will they ever be able to execute manoeuvres when they are confronted with the republicans never will they ever be able to do so much as to understand your orders and carry them out never then what use will they be to you they will enable me to plunge my sword into the heart of the republic thundered the marquis to make fougeres mine in three days and the length and breadth of brittany in ten come sir he continued in a milder voice 
set out for la vendee let autichon Suzanet, and the abbe bernier only go ahead as quickly as i shall let them not open negotiations with the first consul as they once led me to fear here he gave the vendeans hand a mighty grasp and we shall be within thirty leagues of paris in three weeks but the republic is sending sixty thousand men and general brune against us sixty thousand men really cried the marquis with a satirical smile and with what men will bonaparte carry on his italian campaign and as for general brune he will not come either bonaparte has dispatched him against the english in holland and general edouville the friend of our friend barat will take his place out here now do you understand me when he heard him talk in this way monsieur de fontaine looked at the marquis with an astute and arch expression which seemed to convey a reproach to the speaker for not fully understanding the drift of the mysterious words which he had just uttered both gentlemen understood each other perfectly well from that moment yet the young chief replied with an indefinable smile to the unspoken thought in the eyes of both monsieur de fontaine do you know my arms my device is preserverai jusqu'à la mort the comte de fontaine grasped montauran's hand and pressed it as he said i was left for dead on the field at quatre chemins so you will have no misgivings about me but believe my experience times are changed oh yes said la billardiere who joined them you are young marquis just listen to me your estates have not all been sold ah can you imagine devotion without a sacrifice said montauran do you really know the king said la billardiere yes then i admire you the king said the young chief is the priest and i am fighting for the faith and so they separated the vendean convinced of the necessity of a resignation to the course of events and of keeping his faith in his own heart la billardiere to go back to england again and montauran to fight desperately and to force the vendeans to co-operate with him by means of the victories of which he dreamed these events had stirred up so many emotions in the soul of mademoiselle de verneuil that she lay back in the carriage utterly prostrated and as if dead when she had given the order to proceed to fougeres francine was silent following the example of her mistress the postilion who was in terror of some fresh misadventure made haste to reach the high road and very soon reached the top of la pelerine in the dense white morning mists marie de verneuil made her way across the wide and beautiful valley of the couenon where this story began from the summit of la pelerine she could hardly see the schistous rock upon which the town of fougeres is built 
and from which the three travellers were still some two leagues distant mademoiselle de vernoy felt chilled through with the cold and thought of the poor infantryman perched up behind the carriage insisting in spite of his refusals that he should come in and sit beside francine the sight of fougere drew her for a moment from her reverie moreover as the guard stationed at the saint leonard gate refused admittance into the town to strangers she was compelled to produce her credentials then she found herself protected at last from all hostile attempts as she came into this place with its own townspeople for its sole defenders at the moment the postilion could find no better sheltering roof for her than at the post inn madame said the blue whom she had rescued if you should ever require to administer a sabre cut to any individual my life is at your service i am good at that my name is jean falcon i am called beaupier and i am a sergeant in the first company of hulot's lads in the seventy-second demi-brigade which they call the mayences excuse my vanity and presumption but i can do no more than offer you the life of a sergeant because for the time being i have nothing else to put at your disposal he turned on his heel and went away whistling the lower one looks in the ranks of society said marie with bitterness the more one finds generosity of feeling without any parade of it a marquis gives me up to death in return for life while a sergeant but there let that be when the beautiful parisian lay in a well-warmed bed her faithful francine hung about waiting in vain for the affectionate word that she was accustomed to hear but her mistress saw her still standing there uneasily and said with every mark of sadness they call this a day francine but i am ten years older for it the next morning as she was getting up corentin presented himself to call upon marie who gave him admittance francine she remarked my misfortune must be great indeed when i can tolerate the sight of corentin but for all that when she saw him again she instinctively felt for the thousandth time towards the man a repugnance that an acquaintance of two years standing had mitigated no whit well said he smiling i thought you were going to succeed was it not he then whom you got hold of corentin she answered slowly with a sorrowful expression do not mention that affair to me unless i myself speak to you of it he walked to and fro in the room attempting to divine the secret thoughts of this strange girl in whose glance there was a something which at times had power enough to disconcert the cleverest men i foresaw this check he began after a moment's pause 
I have been making inquiries in case you might care to make this town your headquarters. We are in the very heart and center of Shuanari. Will you stay here? The nod vouchsafed to him by way of a reply gave rise to conjectures as to yesterday's events on Corentin's part, which were partially correct. I have taken a house for you he went on one confiscated by the nation and as yet unsold they are not very advanced in their notions hereabouts nobody has dared to buy the place because the emigrant to whom it belonged is thought to be an awkward customer it is close to st leonard's church and upon my honor one enjoys a charming view from the windows something can be made of the whole it is habitable will you go into it yes at once she exclaimed but you must let me have a few hours in which to get it cleaned and set to rights so that you may find everything to your mind what does it matter she said i should make no difficulty about living in a convent or in a jail however you can arrange things so that i can be left to rest in absolute solitude this evening there you can leave me your presence is intolerable i wish to be left alone with francine i am on better terms with her perhaps than with myself there good-bye go away it was evident from the words thus volubly uttered and imbued by turns with coquetry wilfulness and passion that her serenity was completely restored slumber no doubt had gradually dispelled the impressions of the previous day and reflection had brought her counsels of revenge if dark thoughts at times were depicted upon her face they seemed to bear witness to the power possessed by some women of burying their most enthusiastic feelings in the depths of their souls and of that capacity for dissimulation which enables them to smile graciously while they scheme out the ruin of their victim she sat there absorbed in plans for getting the marquis into her hands alive for the first time she had known a life in accordance with her inmost wishes but of that life nothing remained to her now but the longing for revenge a revenge that should be absolute and unending this was her sole thought her one passionate desire francine's words and little services drew no response from marie who seemed to be sleeping with her eyes open the live-long day went by and there was no outward sign or movement of the life which is the expression of our thoughts she lay reclined on a kind of ottoman which she had made with chairs and pillows and not till evening came did she languidly let fall these words and no more with her eyes upon francine yesterday my child i saw clearly how one can live for love's sole sake to-day i have come to understand how one can die to have revenge 
yes i would give my life to find him out wherever he may be to come across him once more to entangle him and to have him in my power but if after a few days i do not find this man who has slighted me lying humble and submissive at my feet if i do not reduce him to an abject servitude why then i shall be beneath contempt and i shall be no more a woman i shall be no longer myself the house which corentin had proposed to mademoiselle de vernoy was well adapted to gratify her innate love of refinement and luxury in her surroundings he himself appeared to have accumulated there everything which in his opinion ought to please her with a lover's eagerness or more properly speaking with the anxious servility of a man in power seeking to attach to his own interest some inferior who is necessary to him he came to mademoiselle de vernoy the next day to suggest a removal to this improvised dwelling-place she scarcely did more than transfer herself from her rickety ottoman to a venerable sofa which corentin had managed to find for her but the fanciful parisian entered into residence as if the house had belonged to her she treated everything she saw with supreme indifference and developed a sudden affinity with the oddments which by degrees she appropriated to her own use as if they had long been familiar to her these are trifling details but not without significance in the portraiture of an unusual character she might have become well acquainted with this dwelling in her dreams or ever she saw the place and here she lived upon the hatred within her just as she would have existed upon love at any rate she said to herself i have not inspired in him that insulting kind of pity which is death i do not owe my life to him oh my first and last and only love what an outcome of it all she made a spring at the startled francine do you love too oh yes i remember you are in love how very fortunate i am to have a woman beside me who can understand well my poor francine do not men seem to you to be horrible creatures why he told me that he loved me and he could not stand the slightest test yet if the whole world had spurned him he should have found a refuge in my heart if the whole universe had been against him i would have stood by him once i used to watch a world filled with beings who came and went they were only indifferent things for me but that world of mine was only melancholy not dreadful and now what is it all without him he will go on living though i am not there at his side though i do not speak to him nor touch him nor hold him and clasp him close oh rather than that i will murder him myself as he sleeps francine looked at her in alarm for a moment without speaking then she said in a gentle voice 
murder the man you love ah surely when he loves you no longer but after these fearful words she hid her face in her hands sank into her chair and was mute the next day some one broke suddenly into her room without being announced it was hulot his face was hard and stern and corentin came with him she raised her eyes and trembled you are come to require an account of your friends from me she said they are dead i know it answered hulot they did not die in the service of the republic for me and it was my doing you are about to speak to me of our country will our country give back life to those who die for her will she so much as avenge them now i she cried will avenge them baleful visions of the tragedy in which she had nearly fallen a victim rose up and formed themselves before her eyes a mad impulse seized this gracious being who held modesty to be a woman's first artifice and she marched abruptly over to the amazed commandant for a few murdered soldiers she said i will bring a head worth thousands of others beneath the axe upon your scaffold women carry on war but seldom yet you however old you may be may pick up excellent stratagems in my school i will give over to your bayonets in him a whole family his ancestors his present past and future inasmuch as i have been kind and true to him so i will be crafty and false yes commandant i mean to bring this gallant gentleman home to me he shall only leave my arms to go to his death yes i shall never know a rival the wretch pronounced his own death sentence a day without a morrow we shall both of us be avenged your republic and i the republic she went on with a strange inflection in her voice that startled hulot so the rebel will die after all for bearing arms against his country france herself will cheat me of my revenge ah, one life is such a little thing one death can only atone for a single crime but since this gentleman has but one head to lose in the night before he dies i will make him feel that he is losing more than a life but before all things commandant for it will be you who will put him to death and a sigh broke from her act in such a sort that nothing shall betray my treason let him die with a full belief in my faith that is all that i ask of you let him see nothing but me me and my endearments with that she stopped but in the dark flush on her face hulot and corentin saw that anger and rage had not extinguished modesty 
marie shuddered violently as she uttered these last words she seemed to listen for them afresh as if she were not sure that she had spoken them she trembled undisguisedly and made the involuntary gesture of a woman who has suddenly dropped her veil but you have had him already in your hands said corentin very likely she replied bitterly why did you stop me when i had hold of him asked hulot eh, commandant we did not know that it was he suddenly the excited woman who was hurriedly pacing to and fro flinging fiery glances at the two witnesses of this tempest grew calmer i hardly know myself she said and her tones were those of a man what is the good of talking we must go in search of him go in search of him replied hulot my dear child mind that you do not we are not masters of this countryside and if you venture to stir a hundred paces out of the town you will either be killed or taken prisoner there is no such thing as danger for those who are seeking for vengeance she answered and with a disdainful gesture she dismissed the two men from her presence the sight of them filled her with shame what a woman hulot exclaimed as he withdrew with corentin what a notion those police fellows in paris have had but she will never give him up to us he added with a shake of the head oh yes she will corentin replied can you not see that she is in love with him said hulot that is exactly the reason moreover said corentin as he looked at the astonished commandant i am on the spot to prevent any nonsense on her part for to my thinking comrade there is no love affair worth three hundred thousand francs with that this diplomatist of the home office left the soldier who followed him with his eyes and when he no longer heard the sound of the other's footsteps he heaved a sigh and remarked to himself so there is some advantage at times in being a mere thick head like me tonnerre de dieu if i hit upon the gar we will fight it out man to man or my name is not hulot for now that they have instituted councils of war if yonder fox is anything to go by my conscience will be no cleaner i should say than any trooper's shirt who has gone under fire for the first time the massacre at the vivetiere and the desire to avenge his two friends had been quite as strong inducements to resume the command of his demi-brigade as the letter hulot had received from the new minister belche who informed him that under the circumstances his resignation could not be accepted along with the official dispatch came a confidential letter containing no information concerning mademoiselle de vernoy's mission but informing him that this incident was completely without the scope of military operations and should therefore in no way hamper their progress 
the share of the military leaders in that matter was confined so it ran to seconding the honorable citoyen if occasion should call for it the reports which hulot received having made it clear to him that the mobilization of the shuans was being directed upon fougere he threw two battalions of his demi-brigade into that important place bringing them by forced marches and hidden ways everything about him had wrought to bring back all the fire of his youth into the veteran commandant the perils of his country a hatred of the aristocracy whose partisans were threatening such a considerable district and the promptings of friendship this at last is the life i was longing for cried mademoiselle de verneuil when she was alone with francine however swiftly the hours may pass they are like centuries of thought to me she took francine's hand impulsively and these words fell from her one by one in a voice like the first robin's notes after a storm i cannot help it my child i always see those two exquisite lips the short slightly prominent chin and those eyes of fire i hear again the hue of the postilion and at last i fall to dreaming and why is there such hatred in me when i awake she heaved a long sigh and rose to her feet she looked out for the first time over the country which had been given over to civil war by the cruel noble whom she would fain combat she and no other the view had an attraction for her it drew her out of doors to breathe more freely under the open sky and if it was chance that determined her way she was certainly under the influence of the dark power within us which makes us look for a gleam of hope in some absurd course ideas that occur to us while we are under this spell are often realized and then we attribute our instinctive insight to the faculty that we call presentiment a power which is real if unexplained and which is ever ready at the beck and call of the passions like a parasite who sometimes utters a true word among his lies. End of section 15